0: The following guided meditation was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Well, a big welcome to everybody. So uh, some of you I know. My name is Mark Nunberg to the people who I haven't met yet, and I'm the Guiding Teacher at Common Ground Meditation Center, and we're in Minneapolis. and. We've been in existence for a long time now, since 1993 when we started. Actually in this room, which is not our current center, but my spouse and I live in this place now. But this used to be the meditation hall for the first 15 years. And uh, now Common Ground, the organization, owns its own building a few blocks away. Yeah, and we have this amazing opportunity to do something that you would think would be quite common, but is actually quite rare, which is human beings having enough space, enough interest, and some instruction to use their mind, to use their heart, to get to know the mind and heart. And uh, I often say at the beginning of these kind of classes, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that One of the most amazing things about human life, human culture, is that we have this thing we call the heart or mind, and in Buddhism, we use those words interchangeably, heart and mind. Um, So we have this mind, but we, I mean, strangely, we've been too busy to be curious about what is it, not what is it philosophically to have a mind theoretically to have a mind, but actually using the sensitivity, the knowing of this mind to, in a sense, turn inward. Oh, what is it? What is the nature of this mind? What's the mind doing? Is what the mind doing skillful, helpful, (laughs) or not so helpful? Oh, it's really extraordinary because it makes such a difference that it's one of those tasks that we keep putting off. And when we hear about the task of using the heart and mind to turn inward, to study the heart and mind, it always seems like it makes a lot of sense, but we put it off or we try it and it's difficult. And it's difficult because it's not the habit of the mind. The habit of the mind is to go toward what we call the external reality, like what we're seeing, what we're hearing, what we're doing, what we're touching, what we're thinking. But not to get interested in the sensitivity itself, in the patterns of the heart and mind itself. So before I say anything more, let's just do a little bit. And you don't have to change your posture. And you don't even have to close your eyes, but you might find it a little easier if you just... Allow the eyes to close and simply notice what the mind is aware of. What's the mind knowing? What is it that's being known? And whatever it is that the mind is knowing, that activity of knowing is a changing phenomena, right? Whatever's being known is becoming whatever it's becoming, changing one moment to the next. Can we just leave the experience that's being known, can we just leave it alone? So there's knowing of experience, Can we just leave that alone? Just check it out right now in your own experience. What's the mind knowing? Can it leave it alone? What's the mind doing? Can we leave it alone? And let's direct the attention See if you can be interested in simply feeling the sensations in the head. Like for example, the weight of the hair at the top of the head. Or those of you without any hair at the top of the head, just feel the air touching the skin. Feel the temperature of the ears. Simply opening to any tension in the brow, in the temples, in the brow, feeling both eyes, even something simple like feeling the eyelids touching the eyes, noticing any movement in the eyes, Feel the air touching the skin of the face. Notice any tension in the jaw and around the mouth. And as we continue for a few more seconds, just feeling the totality of the head and face, can we simply allow all of these different sensations, changing sensations, Can we just allow them to be and allow them to change as they change? Can there be knowing without tension or without controlling? Can we just experiment by awareness of the sensations in the head and face and letting them all be? So we're learning how to be interested, attentive to something ordinary, sensations in the head and face, it's a relatively ordinary experience. Let's open now to the throat and sensations along the sides of the neck, just as they are, back of the neck. And from the sides of the neck, simply feeling any sensations along the tops of the shoulders. And again, including what's most ordinary, like feeling the clothes you're wearing, touching the top of the shoulders. And feeling any tension, if there is any, here at the top of the shoulders, sides of the neck, right into the shoulder joints. being interested and letting everything be the way it is in the shoulders, feeling opening, receiving the sensations down through both arms, curious about the underarms, maybe feeling some warmth here, relatively speaking, feel the clothes against the skin of the biceps, feeling the bend of the elbows, learning that it's possible to be intimate with something ordinary, like the sensations in the forearms, both of them, both wrists. Notice the Places of contact with the arms and hands are making contact with some other part of the body or some part of the chair. Feel both hands and the fingers, each one, pinkies. Noticing the ring fingers middle middle fingers, index fingers, and thumbs. And again, we're just sitting relatively comfortably, still as best we can, aware of the sensations in the arms and hands. We're not trying to have a particular experience. We're just learning to receive the way it is right now. This is being known. Arms and hands are being known. And we'll continue the body scan. We're gonna feel down through the torso. So begin at the upper part, the upper back, shoulder blades, and the upper chest. We feel the structure of the rib cage moving in some fashion due to the breathing process. So just let the awareness settle or even soak in here to the upper torso. And we're just feeling whatever we feel. And there's a simple discernment. This is being known. This is being felt here, now, in the present moment. And now include the mid part of the torso, so the solar plexus, the lower ribs, the kidneys. You can also sense the spine and the upper half of the torso. And down into all those digestive organs, the abdomen, all the muscles, bands of muscle there, the lower back and the back of the hips, and all the way down into the structure of the pelvis and the sits bones and the floor of the pelvis, hip sockets, the groin. Torso is like this. And again, we're not trying to have any particular kind of an experience, but just just receiving the sensations that are coming and going here in the torso. And from the hip sockets down both legs, notice any touch points and ordinary sensations like the slacks against the skin the bend of the knees, shins and calves, ankles, heels just as they are. Feel both feet, sides and tops of the feet. Just receiving sensations along the bottoms of the feet and receiving the sensations in the toast, however they are. They might be faint, they might be clear. And we'll take some time and simply be aware of the whole body together. There's a changing movement of sensation coming, going, some intense, some subtle, pleasant sensations, unpleasant and neutral sensations as well. In this great flow or dance of sensations that is the body, just clearly recognize that this experience of sensation is being known here and now in the present moment. Can we just leave it alone? So, both on the one hand, intimate, clearly aware, but on the other hand, just letting the sensations of the body do what they're going to do. Interested, alert, and relaxed. Allowing things to be. Taking a moment and Simply recognize this capacity or aspect of the mind we call awareness. The mind is knowing. So it sounds a little awkward to say it this way, but there's a knowing that the mind is knowing. See if you can recognize that experience where you're knowing that this experience in the present moment is being known. For example, the ordinary sensations of sitting, there can be a knowing that the experience of sitting is being known. Sitting is like this. Notice any calm. And one more task before we end this short set. Just see if you, if there's an off button, can you stop? being aware. We want to recognize that awareness is here, not always recognized, but this capacity to be mindfully aware is here, but not often recognized. And it isn't something we turn on or we turn off. in a funny way, not that personal, this mindful awareness. It's just the capacity of the mind to be reflectively aware in this way. And once again, big welcome And I'm sure, now some of you I know have been practicing because I know you for a long, long, long time, many years even. And I'm guessing a few of you, maybe even a lot of you, are pretty new to practice. But you know what? It doesn't really matter because it's really good to go back to the beginning. And one of the reasons I like teaching this class is because it's just good to recall the basic instructions, and they're both infuriatingly difficult, but not because they're complicated, but they're actually the instructions, as you can see, even from our opening practice, pretty straightforward, right? But it's not the habit of the mind to be reflectively aware or mindfully aware. So I, I say this almost like a warning. I even joke sometimes that and you know, when we are actually meeting in person at the center, that we should have a big poster as people walk in the building. Beware those who enter. You know, you will be changed, but it won't be easy. It won't be easy. It isn't easy. And, you know, our culture and much of our economy is really <clears throat> built on distraction. It's like one of our basic strategies to put up with life and all the meanness and all the injustice, and is to be distracted, <laughs> you know. When the going gets tough, what do we do? We get distracted, put on a movie, gossip, you know, space out. And uh, totally understandable, I, I know that, I, it, it works in the short term, you know, when we get absorbed in something, we get a little vacation from our worries or this and that, but in the long term it doesn't really help. What actually really helps is this cultivation of present moment awareness, wisdom awareness, mindful awareness, we call it different things, but it isn't the same as consciousness. And the example I often use, some of you have heard me say this, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, If you were driving home from work, for example, a path that you've driven many times, and let's say there was something really exciting that was going to happen later in the day, or there was something difficult that happened at work, you could be completely absorbed in your drama, thinking about what happened at work or thinking about the exciting thing, and still make it home safe. Turn right when you need to turn right, slow down when you need to slow down, all that kind of stuff. So the mind was conscious, it was sensitive to the cars and the lights and the lefts and the rights, but we weren't mindfully aware. We weren't, when we were turning right, there wasn't uh, that simple wisdom awareness that understood oh, yeah, turning right is like this. That reflective knowing. Like I said at the end of the guided meditation, can we know that the body is sitting? It's not the same as the body sitting, but can we be aware that sitting is like this now? Just like as you're listening to my voice, your mind probably is doing its best to comprehend the words that I'm speaking, But there's also a way to have almost like a space of awareness that knows you're listening to Mark, you're comprehending the words, you're seeing the screen, you're in the room. But now with all those words, it's really like a non-conceptual comprehension. And that's really the tell-tale sign of mindful awareness Is this non conceptual comprehension? In a way, wisdom is comprehending or connecting the dots or understanding it's like this. And whatever this is, you know, we often think of I'm in my living room, like when I say, oh, it's like this, I'm sitting in my living room. But that those words i'm sitting in my living room is somewhat static the truth like in terms of being mindfully aware whatever this is it's quite dynamic it's not a static thing sitting in my living room like cuz that sounds like it's an unchanging thing but life is never that way so when we're mindfully aware another characteristic of being mindfully aware is noticing the dynamic nature of the present moment. It's never static. It's always flow, it's always a movement, it's always a river of change. Whether you're aware of sound or you're aware of sensation or you're aware of thought, whatever aspect of the present moment you're opening to with awareness, if that awareness is clear and stable and relaxed, you'll start to sense how alive with change Everything is always, always has been, always will be. But when we're in our thoughts about things, things can feel very static. Whether you're thinking about your relationship, let's say you've been married a long time, oh yeah, my partner is so-and-so, you know? And it can feel very static, like, you know, some edifice called my relationship with my partner. But that's not actually the relationship with the partner. Like, in terms of mindful awareness, it's a flow of comments, a flow of emotion, a flow of perception. And that flow, that dynamic changing dance of bodily, emotional thinking, that never, there's never like a thing that's actually my relationship or my partner, right? It's always a changing thing, a moving thing. And that's true with every aspect of our human life. And this is really what mindfulness uh, opens us to. We're actually, in a strange way, we're coming home. And we just haven't been home. We've been lost in thought. But we so often are lost in thought that that's what feels like home. You know, the the various stories we tell ourselves sometimes we tell them together you know we're in conversation with other human beings and we have collective stories that we're repeating and co-telling together but one way or another we're mostly in our thoughts about things and we periodically have a moment of contact with the more immediate reality of the present moment and then immediately start thinking about it. And then thinking about thinking about it. You know, we have a thought and then we think about the thought that we just had. And on and on it goes. Now, it's important here to remember that we're not demonizing thinking, because a lot of people, you know, in the beginning, they might wrongly equate meditation with suppressing thinking or getting rid of thinking. And like a good sit, a good meditation is when I've got my thoughts under control and I've locked them in a box or somehow gotten rid of them. But boy, does that get tight, you know, so really watch out for that idea that thoughts are the enemy, because you don't want to get in that battle. What are thoughts? Thoughts are something being known. And do you do all your thoughts? Are you the one thinking your thoughts? No. Thoughts arise because of causes and conditions. And then, you know, one of the things we do, and you'll see this when you develop enough integrity with your m- mindful awareness, you'll see this, which is um, one of our kind of sneaky habits is when a thought arises in my mind, then there's a little thought, a very common little thought that says, I'm thinking this, right? It's sort of like a wind blows and then the mind goes, I'm making that wind blow which would be crazy, right? Because we're not making that wind blow. That wind is just arising because of many causes and conditions. Well, thinking, the thinking process, the movement of emotions, it's pretty much the same thing. There are many, many causes and conditions, including our genetics and our cultural conditioning and all the experiences of our lives. Right, and in the, in the particular conditions or triggers in the present moment. And because of all of this complexity, a thought arises. And then the mind goes, I'm thinking this. <laughs> but we're not actually thinking that. It's a natural arising that thought, including the thought that this is me thinking this. That's also a natural arising, an impersonal arising. Now, you don't have to believe this. But this is like what we call a pointing out instruction. Check it out. Have enough integrity, enough honesty in your mindful awareness so you see for yourself. What is the nature of thought? What is the nature of emotion? What is the nature of physical pain? What is the nature of pleasantness? Eating something you like to eat or smelling a smell you like to smell or seeing a sight you like to see like birds at the feeder or something like that. What is it not in terms of your thoughts about it, but what is it in a more immediate and direct seeing is being known, hearing is being known, touching is being known, thoughts are just thoughts being known, emotion is just this flow of feeling being felt. This is really what we're in for, for these six weeks. and it, It will feel at times like, um, yeah, an altered state or just because we're not that used to being present. And even it can, you know, for a small percentage of people, uh, create some anxiety as if being open to the present moment was dangerous. (laughs) We've been in the present moment forever, by the way. Where else could we be? We've just been lost in thoughts and unaware. Right? So it's not any more dangerous than it's always been. (laughs) Right? This has always been the present moment. We'll always be in the present moment. As the Buddha said, you know, we're not really alive if we're not aware of the present moment. He has this very famous statement, uh, mindfulness is the path to the deathless. This is one of the words the Buddha used uh, to talk about awakening freedom beyond birth and death. So it's, in short, it's like the deathless. So mindfulness is the path for the unshakable release of the heart. Those who are negligent, those who forget to be mindfully aware are as if already dead. (laughs) So that's a nice thing to keep in mind, like for ourselves, like when we're absorbed, you know, I'm raging about something, self-righteousness or whatever it is, complaining, planning, but I'm in that little, you know, conceptual bubble, stewing or worrying or planning or whatever it might be about. But it's like, I'm not really alive. I'm not really in the sort of enlivened present moment. I'm on autopilot, thinking those thoughts that I probably have thought dozens, maybe hundreds of times before. You know how it is, we like to go back to those same tapes that we've played before in our mind, right? We've got... I mean, one of the things we do with our good dharma friends, our good friends who are into practice, is we start to share our top ten tapes, you know, like obsessions. Where our mind, when it doesn't want to be present, what little bubble do we go inhabit and spin? Fantasies or whatever it might be. And you'll see over these six weeks, if you stick with it, you'll see that you really start to get to know the terrain of your habit energy, and which of those habits are really not helpful at all, really toxic or causes for stress, what ha- habits are more neutral, and hopefully a few habits that are quite healthy, quite wholesome. And none of them are personal. You're not the wholesome habits, you're not the unwholesome habits, and you're not the intermediate habits. They Those habits got set in motion, How? Through a lot of causes and conditions. Did you choose? Was there like a buffet line where you chose all those causes and conditions, all those little tendencies that you have embedded in your personality? No. Nobody, there's nobody who made this guy, what we call this guy or that person, the way they are. But we're responsible for this life, clearly. You know, there is this dynamic, we call this body and mind or me and it doesn't work to say I don't want to be responsible for it, you know, many of us have tried, right? So what really works is to take full responsibility for this life and to learn, even if it's just through trial and error, what's the best way to take responsibility for this life? And what the Buddha discovered is pay, train your heart or train your mind to have this ongoing present moment awareness, not lost in thought. And everything, anything that can unfold in a beautiful, liberating way will happen when we do that. And if we, which we do, because it's opening to the present moment means we have to be willing to feel everything we're feeling, see everything we're seeing, know everything we're knowing. So it's it's like an acquired taste. Because we have these unconscious assumptions that life is just too much to be present for, it's too uncertain, it's not reliable enough. So we like being lost in thought, because it seems, it's not really true, but it seems like we have a little bit more control of reality when we're living in our thoughts about things. Because we're in that constructed world that we're thinking up, telling ourselves. But we can't actually get away from things as they are. Another thing, uh, and we'll do another set soon, would take a little stretch and then we'll come back and do a longer set and have some time for Q and A. But I want to just say, you know, for, especially for those who are new to the practice, um, you're not going to be a master after six weeks. Sorry. (laughs) I'm, I'm getting close to, let's see, I started in, uh, 82 and I've been quite sincere since I started my meditation practice in 1982 as a young adult. And, uh, And so what is that? I'm getting close to 40 years now, and I'm feeling like a solid beginner. (laughs) I'm so appreciative, and things have really changed, and there's a lot more space, and a lot more freedom, a lot more resilience, a lot more equanimity with the highs and lows that come for anybody's life, right? Um, But I feel like there's a lot I'm learning, like still on a steep learning curve in my practice, Uh, which is really great. But hopefully after six weeks, especially if you put in, you know, 15 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, even better, twice a day, even better. But you have to, you know, the sitting posture isn't essential, except that if you don't have a formal time where you go to that chair in the corner of your whatever, bedroom, living room, and you sit down, and you look at something uncluttered, so out a window, or some empty part of your apartment or home, and you take up some of the instructions you're learning in the class, if you don't do that, then at the end of six weeks you won't really know whether you want to um, move your life in the direction of mindfulness. So you have to It's like you can borrow some confidence a little bit from the Buddha and from your teachers, but what really keeps us in the game, developing this particular mental muscle we call mindful awareness, is seeing directly for yourself its value. You have to see, even in little ways, how it begins to change you, being more and more present, more and more clear and relaxed as you live your life. One way we talk about that is that we see, we recognize choices that we wouldn't otherwise recognize. So when we're unaware, not mindfully aware, we're a little bit like I mentioned, on autopilot, like a robot, but when we're mindfully aware, I still have my personality, those strong tendencies, that showed up because of causes and conditions. But now mindful awareness sees the tendency to be defensive in this kind of situation, or be domineering in this other situation, or be closed down in this third situation, right? So now wisdom awareness sees, oh yeah, this is a tendency that arises in situations like this, but but without the words. It's just like that clear recognition that clear comprehension. Oh yeah, this is this is showing up. This defensiveness, and we can have compassion for it, and we can see other possibilities, like telling the person, "Hey, you know what? I'm getting really defensive. Maybe I'll take a break. I'll come back. We'll keep the we'll pick up the conversation tomorrow, or something like that." Right? That choice exists because of the mindful awareness that recognizes. Oh yeah. The heart's getting really defensive here. It's, the heart's getting really tight. You know, it's so interesting. Like when you're around your good friends, and who you know really well, let's say, and you know, you can tell. Yeah, this <laughs> she's getting really angry, or he's getting really angry, and you could ask them, like, "Are you angry?" And I'm not angry, <laughs> but we know they're angry because a lot of times we're unaware of this sort of mood or attitude or whatever set of programming's been triggered. But when we're mindfully aware, we know. So when we're defensive, mindful awareness, what does it do? It's like a mirror, it just reflects it back. Oh yeah, defensiveness is like this. Wanting to be home is like this. Dead to the world is like this. Restlessness is like this, right? That's what mindfulness does. It's a mirror. It's a particular mental muscle that simply reflects back to itself the way it is. That's what mindfulness does. So if you want to like memorize a definition, <clears throat> mindfulness is remembering. So remembering is an important word. What are we, we remembering? We're remembering to recognize the present moment. Oh, it's like this now. I use that phrase a lot. Um, And you can actually use that phrase, don't do it obsessively, but from time to time when you're sitting in formal meditation and throughout the day, oh, it's like this now, this is an experience that's being known. Whatever it is that you're knowing, whatever it is that the mind is knowing, this is being known. It's like this now. Can this be okay that it's like this now? Yeah, I think so. Let's see. (laughs) So we'll sit for about 20 minutes, that will give us a little time for Q and A before we end. And I'll give instructions for this mindfulness of breathing, mindfulness of body that I mentioned a few minutes ago. So you might find it useful um, to just create a little ritual when you're able to sit taking two, three, four, five long, easy, full breaths, where you're filling the lungs slowly in a relaxed way and then slowly emptying the lungs, easefully. It's just a way of coming into the experience of the body more fully. as if you have all the time in the world to breathe in and all the time in the world to slowly exhale without straining, of course. And this is a nice way to, to begin a sitting time, to take a few long, easy breaths and eventually just let the breathing continue on its own so we don't have to control or manage the breathing process because we know the body can breathe without the oversight of the mind. Just trust the body to do the breathing. will work with this simple anchor, breathing in, experiencing the whole body, breathing out, experiencing the whole body. And periodically you might even want to repeat those words in your mind or some version of that. So the physicality of breathing in is just a reminder to open to the experience of sitting, the totality of the sensations in the body. And then through that duration of the outbreath, same thing, just be opening, receiving the sensations of the sitting body. Everything else can fall into the background of the mind, and just learn to be intimate with the whole body as you breathe in, aware, allowing the body to be as you breathe out, Next way, challenge the mind to sustain interest through one in-breath and then through one out-breath. Interest in the way it is, the sitting body, the experience of breathing in or breathing out just as it is, sensation. And remember those two qualities, that's all we need to keep in mind. Honey, it's okay to relax. And can the mind be actually interested, alert, wishing to connect with the reality of the sitting body, the physicality of breathing in and breathing out. Just keeping what is ordinary, just keeping this in mind as we breathe in, as the breath goes out. Be willing to begin again and again. And remember, it's really okay to relax and soften Doesn't I mean it will be easy because we have these habits of being tight. But in a loving way, invite yourself to relax. You feel confronted, even seduced by a lot of thinking, mental activity, then give a little bit more attention to the actual physicality of breathing in or breathing out. See more details of that ordinary flow of sensation. And when you feel more confident of in the being present, Think more towards the awareness of the whole body, all the sensations being known, the body sitting being known, thinking be the enemy, cultivate a natural and deep interest in what's ordinary, like the sensations of the body sitting, sensations of breathing in and breathing out. And it's this interest that causes all the mental activity to go into the background. And, of course, when we're lost in thought, there's no way to be aware we're lost in thought. As soon as you know you've been lost in thought, then just acknowledging, oh yeah, lost in thought. And just acknowledging that the experience of the sitting body is right here, the breathing body is right here. So you don't have to rush back to the anchor of the breath or the anchor of the whole body. It will just arise right in the moment. So just acknowledge these stronger distractions when they take over the mind with a lot of forgiveness, a lot of patience. See that the experience of the sitting body is right here and begin again, breathing in, experiencing the whole body, breathing out, sensitive, open to the body, just as it is, one half-breath at a time. Now for the last couple of minutes just noticing how the mind's doing. You can let go of training with the whole body, training with the breath, and you can even allow the eyes to gently open. Just sitting here, but aware that this experience is being known. So we're gonna take a minute or so, and just for, on your own, just explore the experience of mindful awareness where we're remembering to recognize that this is being known. It's like this now. Take a little time, adjust, good, so that was uh, maybe a little bit more than twenty minutes just to give you a sense for those who are new. In a perfect world, as I mentioned, you'll find a space in your home where it's not too cluttered. You'll put a chair or cushion which you think will be good for your posture in that space, some people might want to even make it really nice and put some, a plant or have it by a window or make an altar or whatever you like. And then if, you know, depending on your living situation, if it can just be used for meditation, that corner of one room, that's ideal. But, you know, it may not be that way. That's okay. But if you can devote a little place that's just for your practice, you can put your notes there some people put a candle but don't worry about it just let it be good enough and then the key is to get there every day and it's nice not to have to look at a clock so you know you can use your cell phone and there's a nice free meditation app called insight timer or you can just use the timer on your phone you know and have a nice chime, a quiet chime, even put your phone far enough away so you're not tempted to look at it, because it's amazing how 15 minutes or 30 minutes can seem like four years, and you're wondering, oh, I know my phone broke, because <laughs> it's gotta be 15 minutes, or it has to be 30 minutes, but it's really nice to choose a length that you're really sure you don't. it's really okay to hang in there don't have second thoughts, don't overreach, in other words, build your confidence, even if that means starting with five or ten minutes, build your confidence and work up. So we've got a few minutes before we end. Any questions about, or even just sharing, you know, the one of the things I'll keep mentioning, we learn a lot by people just sharing what they're learning, what was difficult in the sit tonight, for example? What? Felt good in the sit tonight. What did you learn? Questions about the instructions. So go ahead and unmute yourself. Yeah, so breathing in, like you can use this phrase from time to time to ground yourself in the practice. Breathing in, experiencing the whole body. Breathing out allowing the body to be. And remember, you can change the words, but that's the basic idea. And the attention, Ima, will go to the predominant sensations, like if there's a place of pain or place of intensity, but you're not aiming the attention anywhere. You're receiving the body as a whole, but certain sensations will come into the forefront of attention. Others will be in the background. But that will be a natural process. The key, what we're really interested in, is remembering that the present moment is like this now. And we're using the body and the physicality of the breath as a training ground in present moment awareness. So ultimately it's not even about bodily sensations, it's just a very useful training ground to cultivate present moment awareness. And the breadth and depth, like subtlety, gross, the breadth of awareness, will just expand as we gain confidence. So the awareness can be all-inclusive, including emotion, including mood, including mental uh, thoughts coming and going. But like I mentioned in the guide meditation, when your mind's feeling a little wishy-washy and disconnected and you're getting lost in thought, then take something more specific because that will really make it clear that you're in the present moment. So maybe then you do feel the air touching the nostrils as it goes in and out or feel the belly rising and falling. You take a more particular sensation and you connect and sustain with its changing nature as you breathe in, as you breathe out. But when you have more confidence in present moment awareness then let it be more uh, inclusive in general all all of it breathing in knowing the you know the totality of the moment breathing out aware of the totality of the moment so it's really more like an openness as opposed to connecting with a particular object so there is some play there It's like we need different medicine at different times. Sometimes we really need that more specific object of awareness. Same thing like when you're going about your day and you really need to ground in the present moment, then use each step. When that foot makes contact with the floor, that's an obvious thing, and the uh, mindful awareness knows this is being known. Touching or pressing, stepping is being known stepping is being on. Not that you're going to say all those words in your mind, of course, but it will really kind of ground you in the present moment. But when you have some momentum and awareness, then you don't have to be directing the attention to just that one thing where the foot makes contact with the floor. You can be aware of the whole cacophony of sound and sight and thought and sensation. Yeah, thanks, Ima. Yeah, Lisa. yeah yeah and that you know there's there's a uh, some challenge to this approach that i'm offering uh, which is um well it's it's like you're given a lot of techniques or a lot of strategies but you gotta learn how to use them and uh like uh, lisa mentioned you know sometimes you'll take a class and they'll just say J- just be aware of this one thing and don't worry about anything else and when you get lost in thought just start over in that one thing. And that's a okay approach to learning how to be mindfully aware. Um, but it does set up you know it's sort of a setup where we feel we can often get lost in the idea that I'm a failure like Lisa said. So here th- this more relaxed approach, we learn so much when we realize the mind's been lost in thought. There's an edge there. Like I said in the guided sit, when you're actually lost in thought, you're not going to be mindful. You're lost. You're like in that bubble and there's no awareness. Hey, I'm in a bubble. (laughs) You're just in the bubble. You know, obsessing, thinking, planning, whatever it might be. But the moment the mindfulness comes back online and there's that inner sense, oh, I've been lost in thought, then you're already doing your practice in that moment so there's absolutely no reason to get frustrated when you're aware that you've been lost in thought you should feel good and it's very, it's a very powerful place for learning like what are we learning we're learning i don't have to freak out i don't have to judge myself and i don't have to get tight i can be relaxed and i can be interested and i don't have to rush back to the body or to the breath either because the body, the reality of sensation and the reality of the sensation of the breath, it can never be far away in the present moment, right? It's always right there in the present moment. So this idea that I'm a million miles away and i got to come back to the breath or the body, that's just the—that's uh, delusion. It's not actually reality. So in those moments when you've been lost in thought, and now you realize you've been lost in thought, that if you remember anything, the right instruction in that moment is, honey, it's okay to relax. Something like that. Like just relax and let things get clear naturally without you doing something to get clear. Things will get clear on their own. Oh yeah, this is what's This is how it feels in my body, having been lost in thought. Because sometimes when we're lost in thought, things get stirred up, and so we're gonna feel the telltale signs of things being stirred up. Oh yeah, this is what got stirred up. It feels like this now. Can that be okay? Yeah, yeah, I can. It may not be pleasant, but I can be aware of what's, you know, the emotional tailings of whatever got stirred up. Okay, it feels like this. this feeling. Oh, look at that. The body's right here. Sitting is like this. Oh, look at this. Breathing in is like this. Breathing out, aware of the whole body. And you're right back in the rhythm of it until the next time the mind gets swept away. So I want to say one more thing before we end. Um, or two things. I see Stephanie put a, a question up. Mark, can you say more about causes and conditions? Is that what our thoughts really are? Well, causes and conditions is really... Uh, a way we talk about that everything is lawful or conditional. So, when, when I say that, like my thoughts aren't personal, but they're lawful, and, they, and that lawfulness gives the appearance of a kind of coherence, like makes sense. It's not just random bits of concepts, right? So, um, reality, whether we're looking at bodily sensations or we're watching birds at the bird feeder, or a group of people over here, or watching, observing our own thoughts, things are lawful. Causes and conditions unfold in an interdependent way. So we use that phrase a lot, causes and conditions, just to talk about the nature of things, whether we're talking about the nature of our own internal mental activity, or the nature of a bunch of birds at a bird feeder, or the nature of my digestive system gurgling and Digesting causes and conditions, meaning there are different natural forces interacting in an interdependent, lawful way. And when observed, it can, we observe that conditional or lawfulness, and it helps us understand cause and effect. I mean, that's a lot of what we're doing with mindfulness. We're learning from cause and effect. What like. And and sort of in a nutshell, what are we learning? What is the most important thing to learn? What are the causes for stress? And what are the causes for release? But we have to observe the mind stream and the body, bodily and mental activity, to learn what are the causes for stress and what are the causes for release. It's not enough to want to be free from stress. I actually have to see lawfully how it arises. And lawfully, how it's released. So, we're really taking the position in a sense. It's not a perfect way to say it as the one who knows, the observer. And again, it's not a perfect uh, term, but it gets us, it's a good place to start. So, the last thing I want to say before we end is next Tuesday night, you may be all gung ho, but oh, it was such a hard day. I'm not going to come back. So when, you're, when that resistance arises next week, you could just be mindfully aware. Oh, look at this. There's resistance in the mind. It feels like this. Just because there's resistance, like, oh, I'm too tired to come to class, doesn't mean we shouldn't come to class. It just means we have to be aware. Oh yeah, resistance is like this. It really gives us a lot of freedom to create new habits when we're not afraid to feel what resistance feels like. And just acknowledge it in a kind of loving, compassionate way, yeah. Sometimes the mind's resistant. That's okay. Just because I'm resistant doesn't mean I shouldn't come to class. (laughs) And that way you'll get your six weeks in and you'll, you'll learn in six weeks whether you wanna make it part of your life. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs,